0: Hello, Pastor Lisa Bates-Froyland here from Redeemer Lutheran Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Welcome to our third season of the Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives podcast. The first two seasons used an interview format to explore the pandemic lives of several wonderful people connected to the ministry of our small, diverse, and mighty city congregation. This season, we wanted to offer a more portable way to take in the weekly preaching and music at Redeemer. Listen, as I do, to tons of podcasts. While driving, walking my dog Titus, folding laundry, washing dishes, you get the picture. For the fall months of 2022, join us for our series Peter, Paul, and Mary as we follow the scriptural impact of three early Christian figures, Peter the Rock, Paul the Pen, and Mary Magdalene, the Tower of Our Faith Tradition. There is a narrative arc to these three months, and perhaps some surprising twists and turns along the way, leading us to deeper questions about the decisions that were made along the way that have left us with the church in its current form. Not only that, but perhaps in these past leaders, we might see a way forward. And now, here's the sermon. Well, friends in Christ, I wanted to begin today's sermon with a list of examples of famous people who had been lied about across the ages. But guess what? All Google wanted to give me were long lists of lies told by famous people. (laughs) Today I want to give you a view of Mary Magdalene that's supported by ancient scripture and an expanding store of research that puts to rest some of what you may have heard about this woman mary magdalene and more important i want to explore why it matters and what it tells us about jesus and in a preview of next week and the week following what it really says about us past present and future so last week pastor mike was here and it was all Saints sunday and He showed you um, how often Mary Magdalene, and consistently Mary Magdalene showed up at those really critical times in the ministry of Jesus, at the cross when he was being uh, crucified, at the tomb as he was being laid in the tomb, and then of course on Easter Sunday as Jesus arose and she was the first one to share the news he showed you how central she was to those very key stories of our Christian faith. If you look at the uh, bulletin cover for today, this is another view of Mary Magdalene that we don't see very often. I don't know how many of you know this, but one of the first breakups of the church was between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. So we know much more about the Western Church because that's what we descend from, but the Eastern Church, clung to a different version of Mary Magdalene and vision of her and had many more stories about her. So one of those stories is that Mary Magdalene, pictured here, had an audience with the uh, Emperor Tiberius of Rome shortly after Jesus died and rose again. And Emperor Tiberius did not believe that this happened. And so here comes Mary Magdalene and she has a basket of eggs with her. And um, he says, well, I just can't believe this story that's being told about Jesus rising from the dead. And so she reached into her basket and handed over an egg. And the emperor was like, what? (laughs) What is this? And she said, the hope of Christ is like the life inside this egg. And the egg has burst open and light has come have life has come forth and he said I will believe this story of yours when this white egg turns red and sure enough it did so you'll often see her holding a red egg so that's one of the stories from the eastern church about Mary Magdalene shows her kind of doing something like a magic trick in that case what I want to share with you today from our scriptures is a case in which she acts As a priestess, really, a holy one who is using the blessing of our church in anointing for Jesus. So that's what I want to show today. We need to dispel a few myths. First of all, that she was not a prostitute. And that's what we hear most often about Mary Magdalene. That she was a prostitute and that she was crazy because she was possessed by seven seven demons. And, of course, those seven demons must correspond to the seven deadly sins, emphasis, of course, on lust, because this is a woman we're talking about. But the point of the story of Mary Magdalene having seven demons is that Jesus cured her of those demons. So she walked in health, restored, Another thing that gets wrapped into this whole thing is her behavior at the anointing, because they cram a bunch of similar stories together, that she comes to look like she's hysterical, that she clings to Jesus at the tomb and won't let him go, that she's overly emotional. And so we end up with Mary Magdalene, in the parlance of the time, demon-possessed prostitute. We would call her, probably today, mentally ill sex worker. How did this get this? How did we get here? Well, it all stemmed from one sermon by one guy. Pope Gregory I preached on Easter Sunday, of all things, 594 A.D. There's so many wonderful things you can preach on an Easter Sunday, right? And even if you wanted to do a Mary Magdalene Easter Sunday sermon, you could have preached what Pastor Mike preached last Sunday about the presence of Mary Magdalene, and her willingness to share the good news. But instead, Pope Gregory the Great put some scriptures into a blender (laughs) and Mary Magdalene's legacy has been drinking a nasty smoothie ever since. See, he mixed up Mary Magdalene with the unnamed sinful woman from Luke and the woman caught in adultery over in John 7, where neither of those women are named. Okay, so then you end up with this seven seven demons thing mixed in, and she's using his big good news of all this is that Mary Magdalene used the same perfume that she usually used on her body to make money as a sex worker and instead redeemed it by using it to wash Jesus' feet. Mm. From this one sermon of Pope Gregory's, We get depictions of her in a lot of art. If you've seen artwork of Mary Magdalene, she's always got red hair. Sorry, redheads. She's never fully clothed. And she has these really ecstatic facial expressions, if you know what I mean. Think of the movies, The Last Temptation of Christ, The Passion of the Christ, The Da Vinci Code, and even Jesus Christ Superstar. In all of them, this sexualized, either a sex worker or just a very sexual person, who somehow is a temptation to Jesus. It wasn't until 1969 that the Roman Catholic Church retracted, and it did, the teaching that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. For many, that was too late. Before that 6th century sermon, however, there was another view of Mary Magdalene. Did you know that the 27 books of the New Testament as we have them today weren't always collected in that 27 books? No, they had to decide on that, and they did. What's in and what's out, because there were plenty of other readings that these young Christian communities would get together and read. So our 27 book, New Testament, was formally, the word is canonized, in 393 and... 397 in big meetings in north africa hippolytus the bishop of rome he died in 235 he was calling mary magdalene apostle of the apostles that's a pretty different view than demon-possessed prostitute she was seen in these earlier times as a leader a gifted disciple a woman of wealth who contributed and sponsored jesus's ministry She was not living in her father's household, which is a sign of her wealth. She might have been a widow. She was one who truly believed Jesus when he told that whole inner circle the plan, that he would be put to death and he would rise again. As we remember from our month on Peter, he didn't take that news very well, but Mary Magdalene did. And that's why we see in today's gospel story from the book of John that she comes six days before the Passover to anoint the Savior for what he is about to do. And as she she takes that anointing oil and prepares him for what is to come and blesses him in the name of God the Father, there's a link to the foot washing that Jesus will do a few days later, also in the book of John preparing the feet of the disciples for what they will be about to do, both leading up to his death and certainly afterward as they go into the nations um, spreading the good news. Later, she will bring spices to the grave and some of the similar oil. So here's Mary Magdalene proclaiming in this sacred deed the same words that we heard from the song of solomon that love is stronger than death passion is fierce as the grave and she shows us in this outpouring of love and you might be thinking at this moment wait a minute this passage you read pastor lisa is about mary of bethany it doesn't say mary magdalene here and now the great reveal that I've been looking for, forward to sharing with you for a long time. This is from a sermon that the staff was exposed to this summer um, that was uh, um, down in, uh, I'm sorry, I'm tripping on my words because I'm trying to come up with a woman's name. Diana Butler Bass. Thank you. Diana Butler Bass preached a sermon, thank you very much, um, in which she revealed that a graduate student Um, had made a discovery looking at Papyrus 66. The grad student's name is Elizabeth Schrader. She always wondered about, what about all these Marys? And trying to get the Marys straight. So she looked in John 11 and John 12, and what she noticed with a magnifying glass is that someone had written a theta, th sound, where there should have been an iota, like an i, So what that meant was, in places where the original writing said Maria, it now said Martha. So what had happened is that the story from Luke, Mary and Martha at the house, Martha's busy, Mary sits down and listens, got transported, the same set of characters, into John 11 and John 12 where it was originally just Mary, which would have been Mary Magdalene, who was from Bethany. Whoa! This is huge stuff. I'm going to put the sermon on my Facebook later on so you can hear it. Today's anointing story, then, becomes a bridge. And maybe the only way in which Jesus resembles a former president of ours is that he also liked to give people nicknames. Peter the Rock, right? His name was Cephas or Simon, but he called him Peter. And here, Mary of Bethany becomes Mary Magdalene, not a place name, but a nickname that means tower, a tower of the faith. More on that next week. So once she crosses over and does this act of anointing, she gets the new name. The early Christian writings that did not make it into the 27 showed that men and women were able to exercise leadership on the basis of their spiritual maturity and not the basis of their gender So you have the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, Pistis Sophia, and a few other writings. They were being read in the first couple centuries in these Christian communities. So what was Mary Magdalene's message? We don't get any words from her besides "rabuni" in our canonical, our 27 books. But when we get to look at what Mary says, we find a different kind of message and more on that in the next coming weeks and a little bit in a a moment here. Why did her message get drowned out? One of the reasons is because there was a certain liability to having women be the witnesses of the resurrection. By law at that time, women could not be trusted and their witness be legally binding. So, they needed to, in effect, manwash the narrative. And so, you see in some of these scriptures that Peter becomes the first witness to the resurrection. There was also a rivalry between Peter and Mary Magdalene, which we'll explore next week. So, listen, I think for any of us, there are two true things that we can say when lies are told about a person. And if you've had lies told about you, maybe you can identify. Number one, usually those lies are told in an effort to quiet you, to make you small, to make you go away and disappear. And secondly, the nature of the lies say more about the liar than the person being targeted. So if we hear someone preaching about Mary Magdalene as a demon-possessed prostitute, consciously then, we don't have to treat her as a serious leader, but subconsciously, well, a scholar named Anthony Bourjol has says, it shows the church's shadow side. At the time of Gregory's sermon, there was a move afoot that increasingly distorted and put forth obsessive ideas about sexuality and purity. So I don't know about you, but when I hear all this mess about the church and churches getting so tangled up in sin and sinfulness that you just want to chuck the institutional church altogether, there is just one antidote, there's just one antidote. Jesus, look to Jesus, the problem is never Jesus. So where is Jesus in the midst of the Mary Magdalene story? Obviously Jesus approved of women in leadership roles, He visited houses where churches developed. Heavens, he commissioned the woman at the well, how many husbands have you had? Commissioned her to be an ambassador of the message to her people. But as the centuries passed and the church expanded, it needed to get its story straight, an intentional word I'm using there. It needed to simplify and streamline. So it built up creeds that were about how do you think more than what do you feel and what do you do? It canonized. Some scriptures are okay, some we're gonna leave behind because they were preparing for expansion. They were preparing for amassing power and influence. It became too difficult anymore to buck the practice of male-only leadership that was all around them. It was too difficult to teach the very esoteric and philosophical Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary, Pistis Sophia, and the rest. It was too hard to control churches that met in homes. And then there was this problem of sexuality that didn't have to be a problem at all, yet the Western Catholic Church marched toward demanding celibacy of its male-only priesthood, and that led, in too many cases, to casting women, women, as inherent enemies of holiness. What was lost? Potentially awesome leadership, alternative models of church, a healthy and faithful perspective on human sexuality, and being comfortable with the essential truth of ourselves as spirit in bodies. And that takes us back to Jesus, who is the embodiment of the divine. We call that in church language, incarnation. And to Mary Magdalene's teaching in the Gospel of Mary, so here's the message, that we have a God-given, what she calls, true humanity within us. That if we can peel away the sinfulness, the accretions of trauma, and everything else, there is a true human within us that maybe Oprah Winfrey would call our best self or what Pastor Mick would more properly preach, you're more than what's wrong with you. Next week, more on the conflicts that led to Mary Magdalene's near cancellation and the potential for a 21st century church that integrates and uplifts the legacies of both Peter and and Mary Magdalene, because we need both, informed by the pen of Paul, who in his letter to the great Galatians wrote that, as baptized ones in Christ, being male or female is not a meaningful distinction anymore. This faith of ours was meant to be one message, one mission, one ministry of healing and hope. And that's what we see Mary Magdalene doing as she anoints the feet of Jesus for the holy week that is to come. I want to end with the words of Jesus. Again, as I was looking online, I came across a post by Terry Lynn Underwood, who is um, an evangelical leader in the church. And um, she came back from a conference in which she became very frustrated Because she was hearing people in the church say that women really only belonged in their homes and had a weaker faith. And so she said, I went to my Bible and I looked at 20 different places where Jesus speaks directly to women. And I'm not going to read all of them, but listen as this washes over you. This is from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus speaking to women. Have courage, daughter. Your faith has saved you. Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Don't weep. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is necessary— Mary has made the right choice. It will not be taken away from her. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Mary. Go to my brother's and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. My God and your God are one God. This is one church with one message and one ministry. Thanks be to God. Amen.
1: So I know at this point in the service, and uh, we have a, an offering song that I'd love to invite you guys to sing apart. So it's, it's the refrain. It's uh, in the spirit of continuing the theme of being anointed. Um, we are anointed by touch. We're anointed with the gifts that we are given fr- from each other. Uh, sometimes we're anointed with a song. So that's what we're going to sing about now. <laughs> A song to set me free, God is my rock of salvation, a beacon for my soul, hallelujah, amen, amen. darkness my soul was filled with despair lifeless and silent no music anywhere and then the lord and companion he filled
0: And there you have it, a sermon and a song. Hope you are inspired, fortified, challenged by these podcasts, and also willing to donate to support our ministry in the heart of Milwaukee. Online, go to www.redeemermilwaukee.org. An old-fashioned paper check means no fees for you or for me. Redeemer Church, 631 North 19th Street, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53233. That's Redeemer Church, 631 North 19th Street, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53233. Until next time, may our gracious God increase your hope, strengthen your faith, deepen your capacity for love, and grant you peace.